Welcome to the Divine Feminine Revolution Podcast, where women are magical and empowered. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Monday, psychologist turned transformational feminine business coach. This podcast is for you if you want to prioritize your own pleasure, face your fears, and manifest your desires. This podcast is sponsored by the Fearless Feminine Academy, where I teach women how to turn their trauma into their superpowers. My goal is to show women that we can heal our world by creating time and financial freedom by doing whatever the fuck we want. Are you ready for the divine feminine revolution? Let's get vulnerable and go deep. I'm so honored that you're here. All right. Hello and welcome everybody to this episode of the Divine Feminine Revolution podcast. I'm Dr. Megan Monday and I have one of my therapist friends and much, much more, Melanie McGee with me. Um, Go ahead and do a little brag intro and tell us about yourself. All right. Um, My name is Melanie McGee and I have been practicing psychotherapy since 1984 and have developed a model of care called acceptance and integration training. And so these days I spend a good part of my work with training and mentoring other psychotherapists, coaches, and spiritual directors. And I have a small private practice that I love. I get to do groups and I work with people who are journeying with grief and depression and anxiety. So I have a full circle love life going on. Ooh, I like that. Um, I love that you created your own approach. Um, From my therapy background, um, two of the big things that have influenced my career um, is Marsha Linehan's DBT, having worked at a holistic treatment center, and then Francine Shapiro, who did EMDR. And so I feel like the women (laughs) created some of the most effective in my mind, like healing oriented techniques. And you're one of those women. So like, tell us a little bit about how did it come to be? Well, you know, I think we all stand on the shoulders of giants Mm -hmm. and I'm no different. When I was in graduate school, when I was leaving graduate school back before the glaciers started melting, I, uh, I had the advice from two different people that if I really wanted to master therapy, then I needed to find masters and study with them. So I took that to heart and I've been doing that throughout my career. So acceptance and integration training is actually, it's the compilation of the work that I've learned from my mentors who I studied with for several years, each of them. And um, my own study throughout these last several decades of meditation and non-dual philosophy. So the the model sort of grew out of that confluence from what I learned from my teachers and what I understand from my study and practice of non-dualism. I love that so much. And having done DBT and mindfulness, like radical acceptance, which I feel like is a piece of what you do with your approach. And you can maybe fill me in more on it. It's like accepting the things that are like kind of hard to accept um, and bringing those like dualities together. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong there. Uh, But I think it's so powerful because so many people like fight against reality, right? Like we, Mm -hmm. we hold our breath, we tense up, we armor 
And we, even though it's right in front of us, you know, we, we mm-hmm. fixated it on a way that just keeps it there. And so for me, when I was working at the Middle Path Holistic Treatment Center, it was so powerful to see people who were like legit going through like tragedies or dark nights of the soul or some of the most intense experiences when they found that level of acceptance, integrating the dialectics and just being present with the pain, so much transformation happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, I don't know that with acceptance and integration training, the focus is really on self-acceptance and self-acceptance and integration. But, but that acceptance part of it is is really brought into play that, the, that instead of the focus on the external circumstances, the focus on our experience in relation to the external circumstances rather than denying that. So it's a deep, radical self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, my mentor, Dick Alney described self-acceptance as a training. It's something that we're always, it's not ever anything that you can just say, I am self-accepted and self-accepting because we are always challenged with new experiences to fully accept our own reaction to those experiences. And then using that as a doorway to an even more profound acceptance, you know, things like the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Talk about a practice and acceptance for sure. Um, why do you think it's so hard for people to accept themselves? I mean, I think that that's probably the underlying issue that I see most often with my clients. Um, I mean, my kind of idea is that like there's a lot of programming and lots of industries that make lots of money off of us not accepting ourselves, but I'm just kind of curious, like what's your take on it? Why do you think that's a challenge for people? Well, I think that for, for one thing, one of the things that makes acceptance and integration training a little bit different than other models is that we don't spend a lot of time looking at the why, because the insight arrives after a, full, a more fully integrated state around a particular problem. So that's why I'm kind of like, let me, let me think like that for a minute. Let me think, why do we do this as human beings, as part of humanity? What happens to get in the way of us experiencing ourselves with compassion and love and kindness and acceptance, acceptance that that we're frustrated or we're angry or sad or scared or happy even, acceptance. And I think that part of that may be, I talk with my students in the fellowship training group, which is the immersive training, about this issue that has to do with worthiness, you know, that that this idea of self-acceptance, I think part of why it's so hard is it tickles this part of us that that gets bound up in all kinds of ideas around our own worthiness, our value, our our fundamental okayness. And so we create these other other identities out here, you know, and maybe they will be okay and acceptable and lovable somehow. Me of a therapist mentor of mine who said, um, you know, we can spend time trying to figure out the why, but like if you're on the top of a burning building, like maybe not the time to figure out the why, just like jump out of the building. <laughs> right. Yeah. One of my mentors said that, you know, to, that, that why is like a dog chasing its tail. And, you know, and from my point of view too, at this stage, I've been around for a long time and have watched the development of like EMDR and DBT and ACT, you know, I've watched this happen over time and how we are evolving our, um, our profession. And that this idea of why, that it depends on the paradigm we take. 
If we take a psychodynamic point of view, we're going to look in our early childhood, we're going to find trauma, we're going to find pain, that could be a why. If we look at our neurobiology, we're going to find, you know, misfiring, that could be a why. If we look at our, if you believe in past lives and you look at your karmic history, that could be a why. So I don't know that, you know, what I do really appreciate and what I find fascinating is that once we really do experience deep and profound, complete acceptance, complete integration of some, some experience, the, the insight, the new knowledge that arises from that whole state, that integrated state is so much more valuable than an imposed, you know, guessing. Mm, I love that so much. And so tell us like a little bit about how do we get to the integration state? Like, is it becoming present and feeling the things or I'm, I'm sure, it's, you know, there's a lot to it, but like just mm. Yeah, no, it's a good question. So, um, yeah, because we're using this word and, and integration and integrated. We know, you know, in our, in our psychotherapeutic history that this is a, an important state, but the how to get there has remained elusive. And, and uh, for me personally, until I started studying with Shivarad Slavinsky, who taught me the how. He's a psychologist from Belgrade. He lives in Belgrade, Serbia. And so um, the how, so there's a lot of ways that we get there. But if you think about it fundamentally, that we live in a world of opposites. Day and night, virtually connected, connected in real life, man, woman. We have all these polarities going on and we have the same thing happening psychologically. So, you know, happy, sad, angry, calm. We have the same thing. And, and the fundamental, once we take the tension of these two opposites and like turn them towards each other somehow. And there's a lot of ways to do that between oscillating between two opposites and activating the psycho-emotional energy of them until there's a resolution and a sense of wholeness. One of the characteristic traits of integration is that whatever felt charged before you went into the, the integration, whatever you felt like tense or charged, there's, it's just not there, it's totally neutralized. Another result is that people often access sort of a higher state of being, sometimes to the state of peace or calm, but sometimes to the state of a transcendent awareness of what life is about, what we are about as people. And it's pretty profound. Um, but the, but bringing it back on the planet. So somebody, all right. So somebody oh, comes. We're, we're okay. Being <laughs> on the planet. Okay. Cause I can go there really easily. And then I realized, wait, that's not your question. We're your divine from the revolution. We can handle it. <laughs> we can handle the divine. Right, right. So the idea is like, if somebody has a problem, like, let's say, um, I host a, a self-care sanctuary on Fridays, psychotherapists and healing arts professionals. I started doing this when the pandemic started because I thought we need support. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things we were talking about today is just the, just the experience of what happens when we encounter something that stops us, the frustration of that. You know, the frustration of someone who doesn't understand us, the frustration of the kids not picking up the laundry, the frustration, of, you know, we're in, we're in a time of a lot of frustration. So this is all about answering your question about how you do that integrated thing, right? So this morning as a group, we one of the ways we do it is by exploring the dynamics of an opposite state. So if the dominant state is tension of frustration, you know, as a group, what we just, I could ask you, and it will be different opposites for everybody. So like right now for you, what's the opposite of frustration? 
contentment, like fulfillment. Yeah. Letting yeah. Surrender. <laughs> surrender, fulfillment, contentment. Right. And and what I what I find so fascinating is that people have different opposites. For this particular group, the opposite that arose for them was flexible. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Like what a useful trait to get access to. Oh yeah. <laughs> right? Especially in the middle of a frustrated state. So one of the benefits of integration is that you can get access to a, a state that will be more useful when you are experiencing a state like frustration. And so you can easily choose between them once they're integrated. So with this group, as a group, we just explored the dynamic, the energy of both, and then simultaneously experience them at a particular point. And for everyone in the group, they became one thing. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that, that for this particular group of people, they can no longer feel frustrated without also activating the opposite energy of flexible. Mm-hmm. Right? So you're taking these like two extremes and kind of bringing them into like a whole integrated kind of experience where you can access both. And Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. Most of us think of it as bringing them together in space, but actually what happens with integration is they, you experience them simultaneously in time. So the, it's the experience of time that plays a big role in the integration rather than space, which is kind of how we would normally think of like bringing something together. It's just, we experience them in the same time. You know, you said two key words that kind of made me think, um, frustration and the worthiness. And I've recently been getting certified in human design, which is kind of like an astrology and chakras and all kinds Mm -hmm. of spiritual techniques all kind of combined into one. But two big insights I had off of learning my profile is that for me, frustration, I'm a generator, is my most toxic emotion. And so especially being like a business owner, a mom, in, you know, COVID, like there's plenty of opportunities to be frustrated. And so when I started to just kind of pay attention to um, when I'm frustrated, I'm out of alignment. And, you know, now you've given me another tool. I can just like tap into that flexibility piece or the contentment piece. Just becoming more mindful and aware of that emotion just totally transformed my life. And then my husband and my daughter are all generators as well. And so we could just ping pong all those frustrated feelings back and forth from each other. And so it's so amazing to me where you can just pay attention to one emotion and really change your life. And so I'm so excited to learn more about your approach. The other piece, uh, human design related is for me, uh, I have an open um, will center, which is kind of associated with not feeling worthy. Mm-hmm. So you can see all the ways I'm compensated as an overachiever, like getting a PhD, <laughs> like, you know, going this, 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 and this, really diving deep into inner and spiritual work. And my human design um, mentor was like, well, yeah, you're worthiness, but like, it's just broken. Like you're not you just have to decide you're worthy and like, you're not necessarily going to like tap into the feeling. And I was like, wow, you could have saved me like hundreds and thousands of dollars. <laughs> like <laughs> work, therapy work, whatever. <laughs> like accept that piece of just like, you know, this is going to be an edge for me. Maybe I'll come book a session with you and we can figure out what the integration piece of that worthiness one is. Um, but you know, just getting to the point where like, you know, we all have our struggles and, and I, I love, just that openness to feel like 
you really can bring wholeness, bring integration, bring acceptance to these things and like shift them. Um, and sometimes it is just like accepting that it's a thing that brings, the, you know, the invitation to like, you know, presence it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Your point about just identifying, you know, the frustration in the family and, and uh, my mentor, Dick Olney, I, he, he would call that naming the beast. Just name the beast. It's the first, it's the first step to taming the beast is to name it, you know? And so, yeah. And I, and I wanted, I, and I want to loop back to that worthiness thing because I'm hearing it so much right now, mm-hmm. you know, in, um, therapy groups, therapists talking about feeling like imposters, mm-hmm. clients like activating this feeling of okayness and, and worthiness. And, and so one of the things that I, I want to context that a little bit, because I've mentioned that I've studied non-dual philosophy and meditated for, I don't know, years, 1983, whatever that is, that that there's this idea of around worthiness associated with, there's no English word that's the equivalent. Um, if you think of the true self, so one of the things that makes acceptance and integration training a little bit different is that all of the practitioners are focused on the true self of the client in addition to the conditioned self. So that the, the eye is on the true self. The conditioned self is just the doorway to the true self. And that's really, but, but here's the thing around the conditioned self is that all of us, all of us have these, these um, if you think of the true self as a sort of shining star, well, there are three sheaths around it. And, and stop me, Megan, if I'm like, you know this already. But no, no, you're friend. So these three sheaths around the true self. Um, and one of them, and they're called malas. And one of them is the anava mala. And the anava mala has to do with all the ways we don't feel worthy. All of the ways. And that has to have fundamentally, like an eggshell, crack so that the true self can start peeking through, you know? Then there's there's the karma mala, which has to do with doing and doership and feeling like, oh, I have to work so hard, or I'm the one doing all of this, all the things around doership. And then um, a maya mala, all the ways we feel separate from each other, from life. We just feel separate, isolated, alone. And that's really alive right now. And I think it's tickling a lot of the mm. worthiness, the mm-hmm. feeling that I'm... I am fundamentally not worthy, but that's all comprised of, you know, the accumulation of unresolved tension over, if you believe in lifetime, lifetimes, mm-hmm. you know, and what I love about being able to help people fully integrate and experience is it resolves those issues and it starts pecking at that unworthiness shell and it just pops at some point. And it's just done. Once you know you're worthy, you don't even have to pretend you're worthy. You just know, like, there's just absolutely no doubt. None. Yeah, that reminds me, one of my favorite sort of virtual mentors, I've not studied directly with her, is uh, Tara Brock. And she got me through graduate school. And she talks about the trance of unworthiness and how if we're not being mindful, like, we all kick into it. And it's just Mm -hmm. part of our, you know, human suffering conditioning. And then, like I said, you know, lots of... (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, lots of corporations make money off of making us feel bad. So we'll like participate in some retail therapy as well. Right, right. <laughs> other things, you know. So yeah, yeah I, I love learning the actual names for the different malas. I think that's yeah. really lovely and beautiful. Yeah. And it's interesting to just, again, sort of name the beast and recognize what the delusion of associated with all of these ideas around worthiness, disconnection, doership. Because there's a lot of a lot of concepts, a lot of delusions that we get caught up into, and we lose our own strength and mastery and 
wonder, you know, when we're identified with all of that. So part of acceptance and integration training is actually shifting identification. I mean, the whole deal is about helping us wake up from the bad dream of who we think we are <laughs> and shift identification from the conditioned self to who the, the true self, who we are. Yeah, I see that so much, especially when um, clients are like up-leveling. There's so much expansion, but like with that comes a lot of vulnerability edges and just activation of maybe tension. And so I find for the people that I work with, like usually they're sometimes the last to see it. It's like the people around them have a more like objective view, but we all have our stories, you know, mm-hmm. whatever binds us. Um, so I'm kind of curious being... Um, like myself, a therapist, you know, who's kind of got one sort of version of how to be and how to work with clients. And then probably a lot of people listening are also like in the coaching industry, which I think kind of like Brene Brown has kind of gone more into sort of like really showing vulnerably like who your true self is. Mm-hmm. So do you have any tips for how to shed that conditioned self and how to like deal with visibility fears as we start to uh, make a personal brand that's created hopefully on our true selves. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love this question because, you know, frankly, um, well, you probably know Wendy Pitts Reeves mm-hmm. um, locally. Yeah. So Wendy and I are old friends. We started Cove Mountain together with a couple of other women, Linda Pucci yeah. and Annie Wills. And, and um, Wendy was actually the first person to really challenge me with this visibility issue um, when I first began training other therapists and coaches and spiritual directors, because she she called me out and said, you know, if you're not willing to like step into this, you have to step into this to do what you need to do here, you know, to to really. And this was several years ago. And so because she and I had several conversations about, you know, who am I? I'm this therapist from East Tennessee. Who am I to develop this model that's like changing people's lives now and seven, eight states, you know, who, who am I? I'm just a therapist, barefoot therapist in Blount County, Tennessee, you know, it's like that. So that sort of inner work of stepping into the potential of what I feel called to do, that inner work of stepping past the delusion of my conditioning is real. And so, so there's a really, there's a really easy way to begin like tapping on this, begin disrupting this. And and it's deceptively simple, so I would not underestimate it. Uh, It's called End of Words, and it was developed by my mentor, Javarad Slavinsky's daughter, Ivana Tomanovich. And so if we take the idea of visibility, I'll just tell you how to do it instead of leading you through it, because I don't know how much it would take. Generally, when you're doing something new like this, it might take five to 10 minutes. If there's a lot of content, and what I mean by content are thoughts, images, emotions, and sensations associated with the issue, if it's really tangled, it could take longer, it could take a half an hour or more. But here's the idea. So if we take this, this feeling of being visible, I mean, we can all access that, right? Feeling being visible. And ask yourself, well, what's bad about being visible? And just pay attention, dig a little and pay attention to any thoughts, images, emotions, or sensations that arise, just acknowledge them. Yeah, that's bad, take a little breath. And then feel being visible again, get in touch with the feeling and identify what's good about being visible. And again, identify, notice thoughts, images, emotions, and sensations that arise and just notice them, identify them. 
Take a little breath, feel being visible. Again, what else is bad about being visible? And then feel it. What else is good about being visible? You go back and forth like this, feeling it in between, keeping the breath moving because that'll move the prana. That'll, I mean, we're talking about energy here. We're talking about the thoughts as energy, images as energy, emotions as energy. And when you move the breath, then it helps move that energy. So feeling the being visible, feeling frustrated, whatever we're talking about, but we're feeling being visible right now, particularly for women who are up leveling because it's been dangerous for us to be visible. Yeah. So it's no joke, you know? And so it's absolutely going to activate the energy of how unsettling that feels for a woman, particularly to claim visibility, to stand in that, that's scary. Mm -hmm. So giving room to that, and giving room to the good, what will happen if you go back and forth and back and forth, what will happen is eventually you can't think of anything else. Now, there'll be a while where you may be repeating content, so then just dig a little deeper. Well, what do I mean by it's scary, I could be hurt? Well, someone could show up at my house. Okay, take a little breath, that's bad. <laughs> feel being visible what else is good about it so if content is repeating you just dig a little bit but what we're getting to is the place where it feels like you're reaching like you honestly can't think of anything else good or bad there's an end of words one side might empty first and you just kind of go back okay still empty just feeling that spaciousness and then the other side still got content and then the other side still empty you go until both sides feel empty and there's nothing there. And then imagine filling all those spaces in your mind and brain like little rivulets with light where all that tension used to live. Just fill that space with light. I love that exercise so much. And whenever I do the Fearless Feminine Academy, that's something that comes up so much around visibility fears. A lot of people have it anchored into this like felt sense of a past life or maybe they were a healer or something like that and it didn't end well, um, or even just the current life being bullied, being judged, um, you know, these definitely come up quite a bit. And I think they keep us playing small. And I think you did such a beautiful exercise and just description for a woman to claim her power. I mean, obviously it's getting better and better, but like mm -hmm. that goes kind of against the patriarchal assumption oh, yeah. of like what we're supposed to be as a woman. And then you know, for me, my most viral posts have always been sort of the Brene Brown style. Like, I can't possibly talk about this. This is a little bit shameful, definitely vulnerable on the edge. But then I put it out there and people are like, so relatable, love it, been there, yes. Like, mm -hmm. And so um, it's been, you know, I've always been as a feminist therapist, you know, into self-disclosure, you know, in pursuit of, of helping people, but it's so different to do it online. And even with this oh, yeah. podcast officially launching, even though I'd been yeah. doing, you know, interviews, once it went live, I did feel this like expansion contraction. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this shit's really happening, you know, and yeah. <laughs> you're going to yeah. listen and, you know, it's existing in its own little bubble. And so thank yeah. you everybody for watching and listening um, first off. Yeah. 
But yeah, I think thank you for doing it. I mean, for stepping into yourself, because I think that the the more as we see, I mean, we're doing this for a younger generation too. I'm 61 years old. As we do this, then it gives more women permission to do this, more women permission to to step into themselves. And that's how I think we make this world a better paradise. Yeah. And it's so funny because my brand itself has gone through like several different names and, you know, as they do, like as you evolve, you know, your mm-hmm. business evolves. Um, but the funny part about it was um, I've, you know, started my Reiki training and I've done lots of energy work and workshops and spiritual work over at Gypsy Hands over in Knoxville. And we would always talk about this divine feminine revolution is coming. (laughs) And um, my final branding change was to claim the divine feminine revolution. I was like, here, I've been waiting for like someone else to do it for like 2021 to come for the patriarchy to collapse, like whatever. And then I'm like, wait, like, okay, am I going to really take this on? And uh, I had a coach mirror back to me, like, it's you and everybody else. Cause we're all like, you know, you creating your therapy approach and like going for that divine purpose that you had to help so many people and just like daring to do it, you know, yeah. um, it's so yeah. powerful. And there's so many, I think particularly women leaders that are rising right now. And like more than ever, we need brave, powerful women who aren't scared to like rock the, rock the boat a bit. Yeah, or even to acknowledge that we are scared (laughs) and that's okay. And we can be with that, but that's not who we are. We're scared and here we are. We're not the scared. It's not us. It's just something we're feeling like the sky feels clouds, the ocean feels waves, you know? But yeah, of course we're scared. I mean, look what we've been through. Yeah. So what was it like as you were kind of developing this and then you've really like, you know, you've trained other therapists, you've presented it, you know, worldwide. What was it like to like come into your voice, to your power and to really share this with the world? Scary. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, honestly, it it was. And and I think that um, it's part of this whole issue. I mean, I definitely had to do my visibility work. Yeah. My willingness to be visible, my willingness to be seen, my willingness to like recognize and do that work that we were talking about earlier of, well, of course I'm worthy. Like if not me, who else? Mm -hmm. Who else has been trained by these people? Who else has studied non-dual philosophy for four decades, practiced psychotherapy, working with treatment-resistant depression and anxiety and playing in that confluence. Who else, if not me? And I think that was the biggest push, you know, that in this conversation with Wendy and Linda, but that was the biggest push of, if not me, who? Mm-hmm. Who? You know, it's kind of like you woke up to this sort of, wait, nobody's doing it. I guess it's me. <laughs> but then after that, you know, I felt this sort of flood of like, there's a lot of things that need to be done. I mean, I don't know. I know how to do what I do really well. I have absolute confidence in my teaching in my mentoring, you know, working with people. I, that's solid for me. But then the next up level was then I have to learn how to, so how does somebody like, I mean, I was around, I had a, like one of Janine Shapiro's first workshops, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago, long time ago. Right. But how does someone actually do that? Like create something, train people, know how to do that, provide training materials, provide mentoring, know how to do that. Okay, and now sharing it with the world so other people can experience the beauty and mystery of this thing that we're doing. That was a bigger stretch, you know. And it's been fine because it's this commitment to lifelong learning. I found a, a couple of coaches, you know, I'm 
I've got good support on the business end and now trying to create something and, and all along been doing something that's not Melanie dependent because I want other people. I, this is not my thing. This is all of our thing, you know, to wake up from the bad dream of who we think that we are. That's on all of us. <laughs> so this is just my little part. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I was a little naive, just sort of getting into the coaching community and seeing how much people were making and what they were doing. I kind of had a little arrogance and naivete around like, oh, well, that's what I do. Like, awesome. I'd love to get paid more and like work worldwide with people and have bigger impact and all these sort of things. But then the fear, like the the visibility fears came. Mm -hmm. And then my signature program is the Fearless Feminine Academy. And so then when I said, okay, I'm going to teach women how to be fearless, then all the fears really came because, you know, you get like initiated, you get trained by your own (laughs) approaches. Um, But there's so much to being visible, being a public figure, like creating a revolution that is, like you said, you know, beyond yourself or beyond directly the people that you work with. um, That does bring up so much. So I love to see that that you're someone who's been through that and that, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, the commitment, it sounds like is such an important piece of that. Yeah. It's like the, the commitment and the, the drive is so strong because the outcomes that I see with, you know, when I, we got really even more strong when I started to see that the people that I trained were getting the same results I was getting. And I've been practicing for several decades, right? And someone who has not been practicing for that long, getting those same kind of results, I thought, okay, I got to do this now, right? But the other thing that I think, you know, when you think about this sort of stepping into this, what you're doing with um, the divine feminine archetype and, and really stepping into the willingness to be visible, it also has to do with picking up some identities and shedding identities and seeing it more like a cloak that we can take on and put off. You know, that I had the identity of being a psychotherapist, even though I always say I practice psychotherapy. I don't think of myself as a psychotherapist, right? Practice psychotherapy. Still, there's that identification. Mm-hmm. And then to, to pick up the identification of a teacher, mm-hmm. right? That's a different identification. That's a different identity. Mm-hmm. So it's a very funny and interesting thing to like, create identities and simultaneously dissolve identities that you can shed and pick up as you need. And in, in the fellowship training group, we, we talk a lot about identities and how to help people untangle from identities and untether from them and actually create identities that will help us achieve our goals. Because again, that's not who we are. It's just something we're using in the world to, to create our goals. Yeah. And I think that's a really revolutionary concept because I think people get so stuck in like, this is me and this is who I am. And, you know, these Mm -hmm. are my roles or identities and like not realizing that we can um, shed at will um, and with practice Mm -hmm. these things and take on new ones. I know definitely for me, I'm feeling that, um, you know, it's also during an eclipse season, which tends to be endings and beginnings. Uh, So we're all going, but yeah, I think just like really, you can't have a beginning without an ending and an ending without a beginning, right? It's just mm-hmm. Two, mm-hmm. two ends of the same spectrum in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. So are there particular ways in which you've, you know, you've like led workshops, 
you know, you've done like the, the, the people work, like the therapeutic work, but you've also like done a lot of like academic presentations and things like that. Is there anything that you did to, you know, we talked about the fear part, but like to really like own your expertise to like share this approach, Mm. you know, like the chutzpah to kind of like go for it. (laughs) Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, part of doing those academic presentations, because I'm not an academe, I'm, my husband is, mm-hmm. so that, that I, I recognize how essential it is that for acceptance and integration training to have a place in the psychotherapy world, we have to have research and we have to have academic presentations. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I've just made a commitment to do that, to figure out, again, I have a friend who, I have a friend that I met when I was in undergraduate school and his, his um, thing, whenever it comes to something that he doesn't know how to do, I went to college. I can figure that out. So I sort of adopt that. I went to college. I can figure out how to put together a presentation, right? So that was part of why I, I felt like that was important. The, there was something else you asked, Megan, and I just lost my train of thought on it. Something about putting together the presentations and doing the academic pieces of this, the... Um, the self-promotion piece. And like, I think you're... In a oh, the chutzpah. World. Yeah, the chutzpah. <laughs> Yeah, the chutzpah. Yeah, so there's this. I there's this. So acceptance and integration training, or AIT for short, is um, it's based on uh, six principles. One of the things that holds it together, it creates kind of a crucible of transformation if we align ourselves with these six principles. So then we can do the integration work within that. So one of them is that resolving reactivity reveals higher states of consciousness. Mm. We know that, right? We know that. Yeah. So when we when we hold to that, so let's say I have a I have my task list, right? And on one of the things on my task list is I have to reach out to someone who I have a very loose relationship with, or they may have contacts, and I feel my introversion, fear, and shyness. <laughs> I kind of wanna, you know, <laughs> just really so much of an introvert. I don't want to send that email, right? So it really takes something different. So this idea, resolving reactivity reveals higher states of consciousness. I look on my task list, I see my reaction to that task. Email Mary Louise, email her. I see that, see my reaction to that task. And so if I don't do that task, that's really going to inhibit my success, my ultimate success. So I use end of words or another deeper protocol that I know um, to resolve the reactivity so there's no tension associated with the task. And instead of spending hours or days avoiding it, I'm just done in 10 minutes. Just done, moving on. I don't have any resistance to the, you know, I, I, I might be the only one who gets a little resistant and avoidant and procrastinating around certain tasks. I don't think that. <laughs> Maybe. But if those tasks, if that's happening, then you can use end of words about the task and that re- alleviates the tension associated with the task. So then you can get it accomplished with more ease. Yeah, I love that because I think, you know, when they're talking about therapy, like what couples are fighting about, like is usually not what they're fighting about. Same thing when you're like up leveling or like completing like the next thing. I see this a lot with technology or just, you know, that thing that you know you need to do, Mm -hmm. like you don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Like it's Mm -hmm. not because you can't Google and figure out how to use this thing, right? It's about like tension and resistance to whatever that thing is. Yeah. Yeah. So we just use that principle to resolve that tension because we can't, 
I mean, I, so if we loop back to the idea of identity, identity is just a point of view with a particular goal. Mm. So if I'm looking at my task list from the point of view of me as a wife, then I'm not going to be very interested in any of those goals. If I'm looking at my task list from the perspective of me as the founder of AIT and a teacher, I'm going to be more interested in those goals, right? And less resistance. So it's being able to put it. And so then what's in the way of being able to easily put on that identity? That's another way to approach it. You know, I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, you know, we've kind of alluded in this conversation to a couple of different like energy techniques and stuff, but it sounds like just getting in alignment with your goal and your identity and, you know, kind of getting that, like the path of least resistance. So like, you know, you mentioned mindfulness and meditation is such a big part of your practice. Like, um, are you like, how is spirituality or energy work or any of that stuff kind of, um, helped you in your, your healing work? It's everything. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could, you know, we could, it's everything. It's the result of the work. It's the work itself. Mm-hmm. It's the impulse to do the work. It's everything. Yeah. You know, and, and my students actually challenged me to come out of the closet on that a little bit more. <laughs> you <know>? Okay. <laughs> that was my own, like, I don't want to, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, just, I don't want to. Um, but yeah, that... So, so one of the, one of the things, so one of the things that we've alluded to is I've talked about, you know, personal practices that I've done the same practices. So everything that you learn in acceptance and integration training, with the exception of one thing you can do with yourself, you can resolve traumas, you can, you know, change thinking habits, everything we've talked about, you can do with yourself in addition to with your clients. And in fact, it's essential that you do, or you wouldn't know the inner territory. You know, you wouldn't know what's possible. And so um, this place of, so my um, grandmother was deeply religious. She was uh, in, in a yogic tradition, she'd be called a bhakti yogini. She was yearnful for unification. Mm-hmm. And her guru was Jesus, her, the, who she, she was deeply, that was it for her. Um, she also scared the hell out of me. She told me stories that my parents were going to rot and burn in hell if I didn't save them and, you know, show them the way, the truth and light. I was three. Mm. So it simultaneously, I was also just a three-year-old who was very, I remember feeling deeply spiritually connected. Everything seemed like the same thing to me. Right. And then that started to collapse down. So I would call my mother when she would come pick us up, if I was all scared because my grandmother told me these horrifying stories um, my mother, she would scoop me up and she'd hold me in her, in her arms and she'd say, you know, if you, let me just take your hand. She'd take my hand and she'd trace your grandmother. She's on this road to heaven. And she'd tap my heart. Your grandfather, he's on a pretty close road. Now your dad, he might find his way, but I'm going to keep my foot in the door for him. So he'll get there. <laughs> now you're going to just find your own way. You're just going to find your own little road to heaven. It'll be fine. But your grandmother's road, it has so many trees on it. She can't tell that there are other roads. Oh, I love that so much. (laughs) So that informed like an invitation for me from the youngest age to visit mosques. And my mother would like, I'll take you to a mosque. We lived in Turkey. I'll take you to temples, churches. I don't care. I'm not very interested in that, but I'll take you, which was what happened. 
So I was very interested in spirituality from a very, very young age. And in my early 20s, I began studying yoga and meditation and non-dual philosophy. I did studies mindfulness, but what I find is that the mindful experience that arrives after integration is so much more rich than a mindful awareness sitting practice for me. It's part of my practice now. Um, and so that, that idea of really helping people wake up from the bad dream of who they think they are, I think it was seeded with my grandmother with that little bit of fear, but then I saw the brilliance of it, you know, it's like, wow, not that we're going to heaven, but wow, if you open up to what's really going on here, it's a, it's a pretty sweet paradise. Yeah. And in my matrilineal line, um, we all have moon and Sagittarius. So like your emotional center has that Sagittarian vibe of like, you know, travel and world religions. And so I have come from a long line of, you know, mothers are kind of out there. And, um, you know, my grandmother back in the forties was doing like astrology readings and, and, you know, that kind of stuff just when it wasn't done. Um, And so I feel like that definitely has informed mine. And for me, um, I talked about this on another podcast. I sort of grew up Catholic. My my parents were like the only Catholics going to a Jewish high school in Miami, Florida. And um, when I was real little, we were Catholic. And then like about the time they were eight or nine, over the time I was eight or nine, um, they started following Paramahansa Yogananda, who you can watch the documentary mm-hmm. on Netflix, who's an Indian spiritual teacher that came to the States. And so I like had this guru at eight and it made me feel like really weird because people would come over, they'd have like pictures everywhere. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Who's that girl? And I'm like, oh no, it's um, it's our guru. He's a guy. Like, yeah, you know. I mean, it's hard to do that when you're eight, you know. So I felt that like right. I'm different, and you know. But it was also right. just like opening into like meditation and spirituality and mm-hmm. and otherness, difference um, that has been really powerful in my life. And then, you know, more in my adult life, I've gotten much more into like um, energy work and you know, shamanic practices and working with indigenous healers. And it's just been so powerful. And being in more mainstream therapy world, you know, whenever people are coming to me with trauma, like I always recommend um, supplementing with like healing work, whether it's acupuncture or Reiki or, or, you know, whatever they're into. Um, Because I feel like, and I'm sure your approach, because you're energetically informed, is a type of energy work. Um, but like, you know, you have to shift it in the body and the emotions in the energy, right? Mm-hmm. All of it, all four channels, like, um, Gerard Slavinsky would say all four channels, thoughts, images, emotions, and sensations, all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't really leave out. I, and we look at some of these, um, some other approaches and it's just all head or all heart or all body, but it's really all of it. It has to be all of it. Yeah. Yeah, I love to hear that there's other people. I, I remember doing like little like tarot readings for my clients, like in private behind closed mm-hmm. doors. And I remember mm-hmm. on, my, on my internship, um, I had a supervisor that was like, yeah, go ahead and work with it. Um, Cause he was pretty out there himself. And so it's, it's really nice to see other people that are into spirituality and energy work. Um, excuse the siren. <laughs> that just means what I'm saying is super important, <laughs> generally. Right. <laughs> it's funny. I'm, a, I'm in my therapy office right now, and it's in downtown 
bearable. And so it's interesting. We get a lot of motorcycles, sirens, whatever. Um, but it always punctuates what people say. <laughs> and I, when I moved to Knoxville, there's so many trains here. I would always use like the sound of the trains as a mindfulness practice. So so anyway, yeah, that's yeah. Side, but <laughs> I love to see more and more practitioners coming out of the closet. I love seeing mm-hmm. spirituality and mindfulness and energy healing um, coming forward as a perfect mm-hmm. analog uh, with therapy. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to see um, these things come mainstream. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very nice. It's it, right here in River City, too. I mean, right here, right here. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, that as we were talking about when I was first starting to introduce acceptance and integration training and stand in that, um, and and people recognizing, wow, look what's growing right here locally. Look what's growing. And it started here, and now we have practitioners in seven states. That's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Eight states, you know. So that's pretty cool to to see how um, we can commit to something in our own lives as practitioners and really put ourselves out there to offer it to people. Yeah. So any advice for like the revolutionary leaders out there who've got this like big soul mission and I know that's, we could probably do a whole nother episode on that, but just anything that comes to mind. Oh, okay. So aside from what we've talked about already, the, the other thing that I think that I, I think it's really useful for people who are women who are doing this, women who are stepping up like this, is to start identifying qualities, attributes, or traits they recognize in other women that they admire. We spend so much time engaged in the subtle aggression of self-improvement, looking for what's not okay with us. And in addition to what we talked about in terms of visibility and identity, but this other piece of it where we can identify and kind of go on a little treasure hunt in life identifying in movies or televisions or friends or when we get to be out in the world, things that we admire, traits, attributes, qualities, that the usefulness of those qualities, if we turned them on in ourselves, that would help us achieve our goals with more ease, with more grace, with more strength, you know, with more chutzpah. So even I remember actually finding someone who I had seen like this woman, I thought, she's got chutzpah. Oh, oh, I know who it was. It was Hillary Clinton during the Benghazi hearings, mm-hmm. just right there in her strength, like not swayed. It was such a strong and powerful kind of snapshot of that. I think looking for snapshots of women doing that, it's a way of begin tuning our attention to that. With acceptance and integration training, we can like flip the light on, but just turning our attention to that is also really useful. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, that's totally powerful because, you know, I think a big part of the patriarchal influence is like kind of pitting women against each other. And so I've got a little tagline that I like to use in some of my promos, which is like, don't hate her, be her, you know? And so like, Mm, right. As women rise together and we see this something that maybe it triggers you because they're, you know, having more success or whatever, like taking that as a sign that it's possible and that you can have that as well. Um, I think is so powerful. And, and so often, you know, it's the opposite where uh, women are competitive or mm. there's that backbiting kind of vibe to it. But mm. I think this is such a big part of the divine feminine revolution is for women to rise together. And like, who wants to be lonely? And support each other. Right. You know, right. like women like friends. We like our backdoor best friends. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So like at this time, yeah, I think that, 
Go ahead. I, yeah, I think that this idea of like looking for those qualities and flipping them on, it's it's the opposite of doing shadow work. Mm-hmm. If you think of it as golden shadow work. Ooh, love that. Like things, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's like just looking in the world for the golden shadow. That's great. So like, let me ask you this as our final question. If you could wave a magic wand and just change things going forward in society, like what would be on your list? What is your hope for the future? The, you know, I'm, I'm going to go, I, I, I remember you asked me this question. I forgot to think about it very much, but I, so I, but the, what's coming up for me is a genuine, like ovaries out appreciation of equality. <laughs> Love like, that. Just, yeah. Equality that just, I find it so disturbing that, um, we continue to have, okay. <laughs> I think our house in the United States is a little dirty. I think we have some work to do and the more we can do that work in our own, in our own homes to give our, ourselves equal voice, to give the people in our lives, equal voice, equal recognition, equal presence, and, and really dismantle those ideas of othering. And that's big work. This is why I'm doing it. But those ideas of othering create so much personal, emotional, mental, and spiritual challenges that are just unnecessary. Yeah. And you mentioned separation earlier. And I really think that that is one of the biggest devices used to control. It makes me think of when I was originally doing my energy work training, um, I read Jill Bolte-Taylor who wrote um, Mm -hmm. My Stroke of Insight. And she was like a Harvard, uh, basically like brain scientist who had a stroke in the shower. And she writes about basically like her left brain dissolved via the stroke. And she merged and basically kind of like blissed out um, because the part that of our brain that says, you know, you're out here and I'm in here dissolved. And so she was just like at one with the universe, which I think we can kind of tap into and we get into higher sort of transcendental things. Right. But I think it's so powerful because we like legit have a part of our brain that says we're separate. When I think in some ways we know that we're all one, but I think that separateness has been calculated to, you know, and the systemic oppression has been set up to really use that as a force to keep us from, you know, creating a revolution, embracing equality and like living in peace. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think that this idea that, um, of separation and oneness, I mean, so with AIT, we actually use the problems that people have resolve those resulting in a state of oneness. And so these give us footprints back into the state. It becomes more familiar. It becomes less odd. So this is what Joe Bolte, now Joe Bolte Taylor, to my knowledge, stabilized in that state of awareness. What I'm talking about is that we have these momentary glimpses that sometimes last for hours or days, but it gives us this, it, it gives us a breakthrough. You know, it, it really gives us a spiritual breakthrough to resolve a problem through integration like this. That's amazing. And I just want to applaud you so for having the courage to being a pioneer, to going for it, to becoming visible and to really creating this like trickle down effect of, you know, this healing modality that works and, you know, that integrates many different philosophies just in your own, you know, theoretical 
conceptualization of it. So I just love that on so many. Yeah. I love connecting with you further. Um, so tell us like if people want to book a session, if they want to learn more about it, where do we find you? Um, give us all the, yeah. So if you want to see an AAIT practitioner, you can go to aait.solutions, find a practitioner and just take a look. There are lots of people listed. There's lots of people who don't have their bios up there, but there are several. So that's a good way to get a session to you so you can experience this work. If you are a psychotherapist and are a spiritual director or coach and you want to join us for the Friday Sanctuaries, you can message me at info at aait.solutions and we'll get you hooked up. If you're interested in training, I mean, I think that's the other thing to consider, you know, for folks who are serving other people. Like I said, I've been doing this a long time. I've, I've studied with masters and I, I, I can't believe what's happening with people's lives with AAIT, what they're experiencing in the transformations. Or message me and we can just have a conversation. I'd love to hear about people's practices and hear what's a good fit, you know, hear if this training might be a good fit for you. That sounds awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. And yeah. we will see you next time. I think you might be one that I'll, I'll circle back to you and we can have some more oh, I'd love conversations. That. So thank you so much for I coming love on that. today and we'll see you next time. Bye everybody. Thanks everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks, Megan. Thanks for listening to the Divine Feminine Revolution podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Want to keep the conversation flowing? Find us on Facebook at the Divine Feminine Revolution Facebook group, where revolutionary women gather to listen to their hearts, monetize their gifts, and change the world.